The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Fred Skinner, the CHRO of Eversana. Also joining the discussion is my Keystone Midwestern colleague, Chad Brantner, and Fred's good friend. In this discussion, Fred talks about the mission of Eversana to revolutionize the way pharmaceuticals are brought to patients and how they're doing that. He describes it well and how they've built this organization just in four years, up to 8,000 employees, a lot through acquisition. They have an incredibly strong culture, which he describes and gives good examples about how they empower employees and how they don't force assimilate their acquired companies into the organization. They get the alignment and scale culture, but not through forced assimilation. Fascinating, energetic speaker. He's got a lot of great ideas. I'm sure you're going to enjoy Fred. By the way, next up on our podcast, we have Nakisha Lopez, the CHRO of Baylor Scott & White, the largest not-for-profit healthcare provider in Texas. And now, our conversation with Fred Skinner. Well, Fred, welcome to the podcast. I am stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great having you. We have a couple guests with us, too. Chad Brantner from our Keystone Chicago office and Megan Mandino our podcast producer. They'll be joining in too, Fred. we got three people bombarding you with questions today. So. <laughs> Sounds great. Great having you. We always start our podcast by learning a little bit about our guests before we talk about your company and what's going on in the people strategy and HR function. Could you please share a moment from earlier in your life that informs who you've become as a professional? You know, my dad would always tell me, love what you do, but also try to make a difference um, in whatever that is. And, and he pound that into me. And I know a lot of people say that, but he really, really meant it. Whatever your vocation was, you know, just make sure you like it. And for some reason, I lucked out really loving what I do. And I kind of take that with me in everything that I do. You know, as an example, too, in the working world where I had like an inflection point earlier in my career, and I remember um, I joined a company and I was super green. It was earlier in my career and, and they wanted me to facilitate this five minute meeting with 20 or 30 people. And I was like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Like, what's the big deal? Like, boom, 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 done. And and we'll be on to the next. And I realized really quickly within the first five minutes that I did not know the true things that were going on. People were super passionate. The whole thing just blew up. And I looked like a total idiot, you know, and lack of being informed. And in that moment, I promised myself that I would never show up that way again, ever. <laughs> you know, the learnings that I got from that was really take the time to understand something before you're jumping in, you know, ask the right questions, seek to understand all those things. That's really guided me. I mean, that was when I was probably like 25, 26. And I still vividly remember that moment of just... <laughs> you know, sheer terror of like, I'm not prepared exactly. for this at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of learnings from that around like humility and how to communicate, be transparent, be genuine. And I try to just live every day and everything that I do in that frame and not show up as an idiot as much as possible. Two great examples. Tell us about Eversana. It's a very fascinating company and it's been growing so quickly. And Please tell us about the business, the business model, what you bring to the world. 
it is an awesome business. I mean, it's unbelievable actually what we've done. There's, I'll start with kind of like a frame first. The pharmaceutical industry has historically seen two outsourced areas. One is the CMO. This is like contract manufacturers. So that's like 90% saturated and, and kind of done. No space there. There's another side that's called the CRO, which is the discovery and clinical development space. And that one's like 50% outsourced. But there's this whole space in the middle around commercialization. What do we mean by commercialization? It's actually taking a drug from the point of when it gets approved by whatever regulatory agency um, in whatever country you're in to actually get that to patients. So all the space of like, how do you actually move it, ship it? How do you price it across the world? How do you market it? The medical safety and pharmacovigilance and everything after the fact, after people take it, all that stuff is really dysfunctional across the industry. And no one in the in the industry has actually taken all of those pieces and pulled it into one single entity that could help organizations launch their drugs effectively. Another stat that's just staggering in the space is that, you know, 60% of launches fail to meet expectations and often fail. Uh, which is just staggering. It's a proven therapy right. that works. Yeah. Yet still, there's something that doesn't go right. Because yeah, and it's difficult. Fun. I mean, if you think of finding patient populations, figuring out the right price, how does that work across the world? This is the only industry also where you have multiple players. So you have the payer area, you have the actual patients, you have the provider as well. So you have all these different decision makers and you have to figure out how to cater to all of them. And that space is only about 20% outsourced right now. And the outsourcing that takes place is all disjointed. It's all separate companies doing all these different pieces of the, of the puzzle rather than saying, hey, we can all do it in a better, more efficient way if it's all under one roof. So our CEO, Jim Lang, and some of our board members had the great idea of let's create this thing. So in 2018, we pulled together seven organizations and launched Eversana. We have a toddler here. It's a four-year-old yeah. organization. We're a baby, but it's insane. I mean, if I think about, you talked about fast growth. We were probably a thousand people in 2018 and, you know, we'll eclipse 8,000 employees this Ooh. year. The growth is incredible. We're very acquisitive. So we have organic and inorganic growth. I think we've cracked the code on how to maintain a culture and be acquisitive, which a lot of companies fail at. One of the biggest challenges big companies have, of course. Maybe you could start by describing the culture that you're integrating these acquisitions into. How would you describe what it's like to work at Eversana? I'll give you five or six awesome facts around like why Eversana is so cool. Probably just end the call after that. Uh, The first thing is we're changing an industry, and this is an industry that the U.S. government and the tobacco industry are viewed more favorably than the pharma industry, which just blows my mind. So it's an industry that needs to be changed. Is that really true? It's probably improved because of COVID and the rally around finding therapies for a pandemic. But But the um, point is, it doesn't have a great image, the industry in general. Correct. Yeah. And And we're changing that industry. Truly, we are changing the world. Our offering, because we pulled all those offerings into one space, we can launch product faster than anybody else at a lower price point for the manufacturer and at a lower price point for the end consumer, i.e. the patient, which we will all be one day. So we can get it to patients faster at a better price point 
for both the person that uses it or people that use it or patient populations, as well as the manufacturers are going to do really well too, because of how we can find patient populations and actually move this thing through. Many problems that organizations have is that if they have one change, they have to go to 20 different organizations that they've outsourced to, to make this change happen in a launch. And you just don't have to do that at Eversana because you have one single team that launches your product for you. And we are then. And that takes cost out when you don't have to go to. Totally. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, so we're changing an industry. We are also building a company, which is so, so cool. I've never really been part of that in, in this way. I mean, a lot of the organizations that I've been at are, you know, mature and and global. And we have challenges every single day where it's like, okay, how are we going to do this from an HR standpoint that, we just haven't encountered. I've been in organizations where I haven't had to build an EU shared services organization. Uh, it's already been there and, and I know how to work with that, but actually establishing it and figuring out entities and stuff like that. So we get to build an organization and look back and say, okay, it didn't even exist in 2017. And now it's something that is huge. It's amazing. So changing an industry, building a company, we have an amazing culture. One of the things that I remember when we first pulled this thing together, I was talking to Jim Lang, who is our CEO. He's actually my fourth point of how cool this company is. But he said something to me that really, really resonated. He said, we have an awesome opportunity because we are building this thing and we get to do whatever we want, right? We can do anything we want. We just can't do it all at once. But he said to me, many, many companies, they cater to this 1%. And what he meant by that is they cater to 1% of an employee population that breaks the rules or bends it or, you know, and then you create all of these processes to avoid that 1%. In doing so, you make it so hard to do work. And he said, why don't we do something a little bit different? Why don't we actually build a company where we cater to the 99% and the 1% will just work its way out? We'll identify fast and either coach them up or take them out. Give us an example of what that might be like. What's something that an organ, another organization might do that really goes after the 1% where you have a different approach? Our auditors don't really like this. We, we don't really approve expense reports. So we empower our leaders to do their work. So, I mean, it goes back to the theme of empowering this 99%. We hire great people that are super, super smart that are dedicated to what we do and we just let them do it. So we try to really empower people to make decisions at the level that they need to be made and let them run. And it's amazing what you can create when you do something like that. We also have unlimited time off and there's no approvals that need to take place. We trust people to balance right. and that's get the word stuff I was coming into my mind is trust. We lead with trust. I think that's a huge part. Another thing that we did, which I think is just how we crack the code related to these acquisitions is before we were even called Eversana, before we had the name, we were Nuco. We were really clever at that point in time. <laughs> How'd life. you come up with that? I, I you know. Didn't, you didn't choose Acme? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we were Nuco and we pulled roughly 100 leaders from these seven companies that were the original companies. And we spent two days on culture. And what we did in those two days, the first day we said, hey, you know, what was good about what you had, what wasn't good that you want to get rid of, and what didn't you have that you want? And so we spent the first day doing that. And the second day we said, okay, let's create, you know, what we really think is awesome. We have cultural beliefs. There's eight of them. And we embed those in everything that we do. So it's in our performance. We start off our meetings talking about stories. We do a ton of storytelling around how people are representing these, these cultural beliefs. And that's the how we do stuff. 
And then we said, if we could get everybody aligned around the what we do, it would be beautiful. So our what is four key results around employee engagement. If you have happy employees, you're going to have, which is the next one, awesome customers and and customer focus, um, which are going to lead to amazing patient outcomes. So those three, engagement, customer, and patient, will lead to ridiculously awesome financials. It's actually doing it and betting it with a company where everybody is aligned to that. Everybody's job is to reach these key results. And everybody knows it. It's, it's amazing. And you talked about some of the stories. Give us an example of one of those stories that might be told. This morning I had one. So one of the cultural beliefs is winning together. I was doing some legal stuff this morning. One of our legal partners sent me a totally completed document that I needed that I should have actually been doing. But that's a perfect example of win together. She had the opportunity to do it wanted to own it. And I, I was like, thanks so much. So exceeding expectations, if you can, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, is, yeah. Is value. Right. And people just dig it. Awesome right. culture. Next is we, we have the best CEO that I've ever known. Um, he's the best leader that I've ever encountered. He, he has that balance of being unbelievably smart and bright. Um, and, but knows that culture is our last differentiator as a business today. And he puts a lot, if not more weight on culture than he does strategy. Um, and not a lot of CEOs do that and, and walk the walk. Yeah. A good example of this, it's a fun story, is that when we launched this company, he came to me and he said, hey, we finally have our name. It's going to be Eversana. We're going to have a town hall. So what I want to do is also talk about our culture and the work that we've done there. Will you join? And I said, absolutely. You know, it's super fun. So in that town hall, I didn't really get the extent to what he was talking about. We had a fancy video of the new brand and what it means. And there's a lot of meaning behind the logo and everything. And we spent five minutes on that. And then he said, okay, now I want to talk about culture. And this was the biggest moment of our existence, right? Eversana, this is our name. This is what it means. Like, here's some swag. And then quickly pivoted to culture and talked about culture for 30 minutes we're a services company, like everything we do is around people. And right. he just gets that. And the message comes loud and clear to the people in the audience okay. that we're listening, right? Look at where yeah. our CEO is spending most of his time talking about. Yeah, yeah. He's just uh, ridiculously genuine and, and humble. It's unbelievable. If anybody listens to this, look up Jim Lang, and he is the epitome of an awesome leader. That's um, so that's for fifth is we're profitable, which I guess is really fun to be in the environment today and fast growing. And it's an industry that really needs us and, and wants us. And then I think the last thing that I would call out of why this place is so awesome is we're purpose driven. We save thousands of lives every single day from what we do. And what greater purpose is there than that? Don't get it twisted. Like you are actually saving lives. Whatever you're doing helps enable this whole process to happen, which saves thousands of lives and impacts thousands of lives, if not millions of lives every single day. So it's- Right, if it's, you couldn't streamline a therapy and bring it to patients faster, it could be a life and death decision for that patient. Yeah, and, and right. some of those things that we do are in the rare space, which are really, really hard to find the patient populations that you have. They're hard to bring to market. And then it's also hard in a lot of those spaces to actually keep people on therapy. So we also have like a whole space of patient services that helps people stay on their therapy. And it also helps with the enormous bills that come with some of those therapies as well. So it's, it's amazing what this company does. 
And you're lucky to be at a company that has one or two of those things, let alone six. And that's just top of the mind. There are right. thousands of other examples of, again, why this place is so cool. That's fantastic. Now, you talked about how acquisitive you are. I've interviewed so many CHROs and heads of HR that talk about the struggle to scale culture when you're acquiring companies. Can you talk about your approach? Maybe some challenges, too. I'm sure it's not always perfect. Yeah, it's not all <laughs> rainbows and unicorns over here, but the good far outweighs the, the bad for sure. One is um, when we look for companies, we spend, I would say, more time on fit and culture of those organizations than we do even on the financials of those organizations or the business models. And I think that's so, so critically important as you're bringing organizations into your organization. So you'll make a no-go decision based on culture. Because yeah. I've heard of organizations that won't do that. Say, oh, if they're strategic fit, they'll still bring them on and say, we'll make it work. But you yeah. you draw the line if culture yeah, isn't a good absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. Because it'll, it'll crush it. I mean, it won't work and you'll lose all the economic value that you thought you were going to get. The other thing that we do is, I mean, we have you know, 20 different businesses that are all underneath this umbrella, let's say, somewhere around there. When we bring organizations into this, we don't assimilate them into Eversana. We have an approach that really talks about culture that usually really aligns to what they're already doing. But then we also let them run what they were doing before. I think a lot of organizations fail in acquisitions because they'll acquire an organization and they'll assimilate to, to theirs and they'll, they'll change whatever they're doing, their secret sauce and get synergies or whatever you want to, you know, and they'll do right. all of this stuff. And then you just ruined all the economic value of what you had. So we don't do that. We say, we want to take whatever you're doing. And now you have all these pieces that you can play with in Eversana. And it just magnifies what you're doing and makes it even bigger than what it was before. The final piece that I think we also do well, there's usually two types of acquisition. There's the acquisition that you get very similar organizations, you acquire them, and then you take the best and you cut out what isn't needed. That's a horrible place to be in. I've been in that. I think a lot of people have. It's just not fun. There's the other side, which I think we are very fortunate to be in, where we find things that are adjacent to what we're doing or in a growth space that we need to go. So there isn't a lot of overlap to think about from a synergies perspective. And it's because of the fast growth that we're doing, even if you have to look at things like shared services or HR or finance or whatever, if you blink your eye in six months, we're going to need those resources anyways because of the growth that we're having. You're acquiring expertise you don't have or something you want to add. Right. Well, I know you have a deep expertise. You come from the world of OD and development in your background. That's really where you started your HR career. Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, your overall philosophy, and then we could talk about how you've integrated that into what you've done at Eversana so far. Funny story on this one, too. My, my wife never really understood what I did. She's in marketing. <laughs> she understood it, but she didn't appreciate it, let's say. And she would always introduce me as, he does fancy HR. That's, <laughs> that's what OD was, fancy HR. So I, I do fancy HR. Yeah, I love that space. I think you know, you can be super strategic early in your career because you're just thrown into those things like org design, change management, all those spaces. They're just fun, fun things to do. Our main responsibility and the main thing that we can do in HR is, is to have a deep, deep understanding of the business and its people. The biggest mistake HR people usually make is they take the archaic approach or just an approach of like, I'm super smart. I know all these fun words in HR and scare the shit out of people or (laughs) want to walk through models and stuff, which is totally fine. What I tell people is kind of flip that, never bring it up and only speak the business's language because 
that's where you're going to get credibility and all the HR stuff, you know, is just going to come along for the ride. But you have to win over everybody and really understand what they do, how they make revenue, how they attract talent, like all those things in order to actually move a business and to, and to truly impact that business. Oh, and I think that's philosophy. where HR falls yeah, down. Just, just speak their language, the business unit's language. That's great. Totally. You mentioned your team. Can you talk a little about the team you've built in HR and your people strategy function? And, yeah. Uh, and what are you proud of, of what they have accomplished and you have accomplished? I'm super proud of them just in general. It's the, I'm just really lucky. This group that we have uh, at Eversana is just the most gifted, the truly most business-minded HR team that I've ever had the fortunate ability to work with. We don't own culture by any means, but we've shepherded it. Also, the integration work that we do of these organizations, I think is super impressive. And in this environment, of a pandemic and now this the great reshuffle just being able to identify that and get ahead of it i think we have forward-thinking hr folks that are just way smarter than me and they bring all this to our attention and try to get ahead of it before you know it becomes a massive issue i'm just proud of that team like they're just awesome you mentioned what's going on in the world today and we know that a lot of people have been working in some form of hybrid work right over over the last couple of years in fact, I went to one of my college reunions a few months ago, and one of the guys works on Wall Street, and he was saying, you know, this isn't so bad for us. We've been in business for a while. I've been in my established in my organization. I can do all this remote, but it's really hard for younger people to get that mentoring and, you know, to be pulled into a meeting or grab somebody's ear that's more senior than them to learn from. And I was just wondering what you've been able to do to bring those newer, younger employees along in this crazy world and how you're going to ramp them up faster as you go forward. It's a huge challenge. I mean, there's about 70% of our business that can be flexible. And so we're doing things creatively across the business now where in one of the agencies, we had homecoming events where you could start to build some of those relationships. And then we also do unique things around our culture, around um, how we help our leaders to think about these things. We're we're pushing more focus around health and happiness within business units as well as shared services. So it's not necessarily monetary things that you can do that can really get people connected more. Um, and there's events and stuff like that, but there's also right. simple things like, I don't know about you guys, but over this last two years, my days are like meeting to meeting to me. I don't think I've had lunch since 2019. Um, and that's not a, like, don't feel sorry for me, but like, it's just back to back to back to back. So even simple things of like carve out lunch every single day where we make that sacred and nobody does it, or you use it to connect with somebody Friday afternoons, things like that. So I think you got to win the hearts and minds of folks. We've even done things. This is kind of cool where people will have joined in the organization. We'll send letters to their families to say thank you for your family to join Eversana. Um, here's what your son or daughter or husband or wife are doing and how they're changing and impacting wow. the world, um, which is pretty cool. I mean, there's yeah. peer pressure associated with that or family pressure of like, wow, it seems like a cool company. You're saving the world. Now you're going to go and work new for employees that are like, I can't believe you messaged right. my family, right? Yeah, totally. So <laughs> I think there's just... The biggest thing that I've learned on this whole battle is that it's everyone's issue. Eversana really understands that, that HR is not going to solve it for them. Their leaders aren't going to solve it for them. 
we really got to rally behind how we're going to get and keep awesome talent. Leaning in and using the expertise, leaning in with trust and knowing that you have awesome people asking their opinion and then doing stuff about it makes for an awesome environment. That's great. Well, you started your answer by talking about the homecoming. It's no better time than to bring somebody from your home into this discussion. Chad, my Keystone Chicago colleague, I'm sure you have a question for Fred or two. Yes, absolutely. Hi, Dave. Hi, Fred. Hi, Megan. Hey, Chad. (laughs) Here's what's so interesting about Fred. I will usually wake up to emails that Fred has sent back to me an hour or two hours after I've gone to bed. And, you know, so I I have this glimpse into Fred's evening routine. You're not in the position that Fred's in, in a company with 8,000 employees that continues to grow without having, you know, some sort of daily framework. You even mentioned it, you know, I haven't had lunch in how many years? Two years. (laughs) So I got to know, what does your morning routine look like? Because here's the other little secret about Fred is he's a big time fisherman. He loves to fish. Are you up at 445 <laughs> and you're you're casting? You are going to be so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> here's my routine. I'm super fortunate. So I married up. I have an awesome wife. We have a five-year-old daughter. Her name is Georgia. I usually like hang out in bed with our five-year-old and tell her, hey, we need five more minutes. Well, my (laughs) wife has already been up for an hour walking the dog and doing all this. She's way more of a a morning person, I think. But I have a good evening uh, routine that helps me in the next days. And I think if I could work from nine until 1 a.m., I'm just super productive. I don't know why that is. A lot of the meetings that I have to have that are global are at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. Um, the evening routine is typically like, what the heck do I have ahead of me for the next day? Everything in a person's daily routine, life, whatever, is all about sequencing and timing, right? And you got to just be able to say, okay, I'm going to let little balls drop and I'm going to keep these big ones up in the air. And and if you do that, you're going to be phenomenal and just focus on the things that are going to be most impactful, figure out how to prioritize and stick with it. That's great. And Dave, you know, I, I do go to bed early, so keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Fred, the other thing is Dave alluded to it, and I think we would be cutting the podcast short if we didn't bring up our hometown of Sycamore, Illinois, which we are often referring to it as pumpkin capital of the world. <laughs> so Sycamore, uh, you know, northern Illinois, uh, small town, you know, surrounded by cornfields, backs up to uh, DeKalb's Northern Illinois University. You know, I often find myself at this age kind of drawing uh, success stories back to our upbringing in Sycamore. What is something that Sycamore has given you, Fred, that's kind of shaped who you are today? I get teased more often than not from colleagues about Sycamore, but it truly is a badge of honor. In an environment like that, in a smaller town, I think at the time it was probably like 12,000. You didn't have cell phones. I really feel old saying that where, you know, the, the sun went down, you were going back home, but everybody was looking out for one another. So like Chad's dad, you know, is my baseball coach. Like it's more like a family. And I look back at that and I think, wow, how different that is in today's environment and and how fortunate we were to to be in that environment. The proof point that I have about how special Sycamore is, Chad and I graduated with probably like 300 
people, 300 kids. And I would say 99% of that graduating class was friends. You had different people that liked different things, but everybody got along. They still stay in touch. We come back. Pumpkin Fest, by the way, everybody should look it up. It is bigger than any other holiday. It's like a high school reunion every single year. And it is still that special. You come back and you see all these folks that you have so many memories with. You pick up right where you left off, even if it's been 10 years. And that's really, really special. So if if today's Fred that we're talking to today could whisper in 18-year-old Fred's ear coming out of Sycamore, ready for the world, what advice are you going to give your 18-year-old self? You know, I was very much the path of least resistance. One is being present. I think that is something, especially in today's day and age, especially kids, being present and understanding the moment that you're in uh, is so, so awesome. And and it's such a miss that happens all the time. You're always thinking about the next thing or trying to move on. And I tell this to a lot of the folks in Eversana, like right now, this moment is something in 10, 15, 20, 30 years that you're going to come back and say, wow, those were amazing times. And if you could just be present a little bit more and like live in that moment, you'd appreciate it so much more. So I think that's one, not underestimating the, the power of collaboration and humility. I, I think humility is such a underutilized skill set and trying to seek to understand and working with others. There, there's so much power around like how things get better. Being open to any opportunity is also a good thing. You're just going to learn so much more and people are really going to dig it when you're the yes guy and that you want to try things versus the that's not my job guy or gal. And the last thing that I would say, and I did learn this a lot from Sycamore, my parents, and really everybody that I, I've grown up with is just really try hard. If you do that, you're going to do great. It goes back to the key results that we have for Eversana. We do those things. Financials come along for the ride. Yeah, no, absolutely. Megan, the producer of the podcast, always asks the NERA question of the podcast. NERA is the largest uh, SHRM chapter in the northeast of the U.S. You probably have a SHRM Milwaukee chapter. And Megan, you have a question for Fred, too? We were wondering how you communicate the employee experience externally and how you drive engagement internally. And since you've already touched on it, if you have any specific ideas in terms of community groups or uh, specific actions that emerging leaders could integrate in their companies, yeah. just to start off if they really don't have any base in that area. And understanding and being able to articulate the employee journey and make it in a way that is really compelling to people, uh, because it is, it truly is and should be. If I were in ground zero with that, I, I would really want to understand what are the different vocations that we have within our business? I would start with data and I would say, you know, which ones are either high growth areas or hardest to find, you know, those purple unicorns that people talk about, or the ones that have just tons of turnover because of the marketplace right now. And I'd narrow down in that. A lot of times you want to do everything all at once, but if you just narrow it down, you'll chip away at it and make some huge impacts. So understanding those points and then starting with specific areas, making sure you have a good way to articulate what the culture is, set expectations. It's a honeymoon period in the interview process, and then they join and they get smacked in the face, and then they hate what they're doing. And we had problems with that in our consulting. We have a regulatory consulting business, and they would join, and, and they didn't have an understanding of 
you know, you're a road warrior doing some of that stuff for months at a time, you know, helping with regulatory implications. So being super transparent and making sure that people are excited about what they're doing, understanding the culture, giving them a great experience of not only like the honeymoon period of the interview process, making sure that people show up for interviews and all of that, but also we help our managers like, what's your plan for when they start? We know you're really, really busy, but can we just outline something for when an employee starts so that they feel like they have direction, they feel like they've been thought of. And then it goes back to engagement. I learned this a long time ago as well. If you can just do two things with your employees, you, you'll kill it and they'll love you and, and everything will be great. And it's, you know, engagement's really, you can simplify it in two things. My world is clear and I matter. And if you can answer that for your employees, especially when they're new, create that clarity and set expectations and get them into the culture. And and then the second, if they feel cared about, they're going to run in front of a truck for you and, and you'll do the same for them. That's what caring for them is. So they're very, very simple, but it's those two things that you want to answer for your employees, especially new employees. And then it's how do you help them along the way? Because you want to grow leaders, right? I want to be the exporter of leaders in Eversana, not externally, but internally. I want people to like want talent all over the place. And we're at a scale now where we can have a ton of fun with that and move people around and get them awesome experience. And, and they are the future leaders of what we're what we're building here. All right. A couple bonus questions for you and we'll wrap it up here. Fred, uh, what's something interesting about you in addition to being a, you know, a Pumpkin Fest fan in Sycamore, <laughs> we wouldn't find on your LinkedIn profile or your bio? It's actually on my LinkedIn profile because I'm proud of it. One is I was a carpenter for a long time, all throughout high school, undergrad and graduate school. And I was super, super fortunate. I joined in with some folks that became family and they were adamant that like school was super important and they worked with my flexibility, but started sweeping a floor to actually giving held plans. Like here's the plans. Now go take this crew folks and build a house. I wish I had more time to do that stuff. Now what I do, and I have this in my LinkedIn profile as well, is I like to cut down trees and stack wood. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> dumbest thing ever, but it's so cool to like, there's a tree, it's dead or whatever, and I chopped it up and now I stack the wood well, and then I feel very You don't have to think like you do after at Episodner, right? You can yeah. just do it. Yeah. Just, so yeah. that is actually in my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> oh, that's great. And do you have a secret life hack, Fred? Yeah, I do. It goes back to what Chad was talking about earlier. I have sacred time. And no matter what, I keep this sacred. My sacred time is, you know, from five until eight. That is all Georgia time. I mean, it's the small windows that I have, like especially when she's in kindergarten now where we're all busy, right? Especially in the jobs that we all have. And she's busy now and she's only going to get busier. But I try to keep that as sacred as possible. I don't have my phone. I don't have a computer on from five until eight o'clock. She goes to bed right around there. It'll get longer as she grows older, but it's just super, super important. And people know it. I set that expectation with people of like, you're not going to hear from me. I'm not going to get back to you. Like I'll plug back in right after that. But, um, and if it's an emergency, people can get a hold of me and things like that. But there's usually nothing that important that we need to focus on you know, right then and there, right? right? So something can wait two or three hours. And it's really, really important for us to remember what's really, really important. Yeah. And when we look back at our lives and say, 
wow, you know, I did that cool project for whatever or integrated that company or whatever. Like those are cool things. Don't get me wrong. But the things we will likely remember are those times with a five-year-old kid that just wants to play with you and play tag or whatever it is. That's the stuff that's that's important. And I try to do that as much as I can. That's my secret life hack. That's a great life hack. And Chad, we are so thankful that you introduced us to Fred. You were a great guest, Fred. So glad well, to have for you having on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.